Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is going to be a bonus episode. Today, I'm going to talk about the sin of effeminacy. Last week, Last week, I did the special episode on the SBC convention, and I mentioned that James Merritt was effeminate from the stage, and I wanted to address that and talk about that with some more precision, and I thought I'd go ahead and just do a bonus episode on the sin of effeminacy. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we need your help. We need wisdom and direction as we talk about being men in the way that you would have us be men, and uh, we, we don't want to be effeminate men, and God, we, we ask that you would help us to identify that sin, and then help men who struggle with that to walk out of it, and so, Lord Jesus, I trust that you're going to help, and it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you're not aware of the discussion, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, here's what the ESV reads, how the ESV reads, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, that's the ESV. It says, who practice homosexuality. Now, here is the NASB 95. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So there is the difference between the ESV and the New American Standard 95. Now, the debate is over the word malakoi. Now, if you look in the Greek, and if you're a Greek scholar, Greek scholars translate it into English Bibles and any other you know version of the Bible as well. And sometimes there's a word choice about how to translate a word, and I realize... There's both sides of the aisle here of people who want to keep that word in the text and others who think that practice homosexuality is an encompassing word of the word malakoi, and so you don't need those two words. Now, no matter where you are on that side of the aisle, I want to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what we see is a thread of thought that goes through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And we get bogged down in the discussions, I think, about head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. But one of the things that I want you to notice is that nature is appealed to when talking about the differences between men and women. And what's happening in Corinth is people were rejecting their gender externally. So men were wearing their hair like women, and women were wearing their hair like men. They didn't care if they externalized their gender. And so we see a lot of that today with gender confusion. But some of our answers to the questions about the gender confusion and gender erosion of where we're at in our world today, and not just in our world, but in the church, some of the answers that we have to have and go to is where Paul takes us, and that is to natural law. Nature itself teaches us so much about manhood and womanhood, and I want to appeal more to nature here in just a second. So even if you don't accept the word effeminate in the translation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which Malachi means soft, okay, so it would be the passive partner in homosexual acts, but just the soft nature of men in general, when men are built to be rugged and strong and taking responsibility and and not being the weak one, we are told that women are the weaker vessel. And so when men act like the weaker vessel, they're acting against nature itself. Okay, so back to 1 Corinthians 11 real quick. It says this, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears his hair long, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory? 
Notice what Paul does. He appeals to nature itself. Now, this argument isn't right now about long hair or short hair, but it is about nature itself teaching us that men wear their hair one way and women wear their hair another way. There is an externalization of our gender that should be evident from society to society that communicates clearly, I am embracing my gender. That's what men should do, and that's what women should do. So when men present themselves in a womanly manner, when you don't know, is that a man or a woman, they are walking in sin. They're going against nature itself. When a woman presents herself in a way that's masculine, in a way that you can't tell that is that a woman or a man, she is walking against nature itself and therefore violating the commands of God woven into what it means to be men and women from the garden forward. We know in the garden that God made Adam and Eve and that the genders male and female, God made male and female, are what it means to be the image of God. He made them male and female, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And they were called mankind. That's the name that they were given. And so to reject that, or to embrace the opposite, is to walk in sin. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Genesis. Genesis 3, the judgment of sin came down upon the serpent, it came came down upon Adam, and it came down upon Eve. And that's where we see gender-specific sin propensities. For the man, most people know this, the sin propensity for men is going to be passivity or it's going to be dominance. We've heard sermons on this. You've probably preached on this. We talk to men in such a way that we want to encourage them to know, here's going to be the propensities that you're going to deal with. You're either going to be a passive man who just watches life goes by and you're not going to do what's required in your family or in your work or in your spiritual disciplines. Passivity is going to take root. Or... You're going to be a dominant man who's going to want to control and pull all the levers and be in charge of everything and everyone. You're going to be either passive or dominant. And so you've got to watch those sin propensities. But in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we also see feminine sin tendencies. And those feminine sin tendencies are going to be like Eve from 1 Timothy chapter 2. She was deceived first. Adam was not deceived. So it's going to be deception. And then, based on the punishment given to Eve, it's also going to be manipulation or control. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So the woman's sin propensities are, is going to be to manipulate and to try to be in control, even though the husband is going to have leadership. The wife is going to want to control, manipulate, and pull the levers behind the scenes to get the things that she wants. And so that's going to be a feminine sin. Now, let's turn the corner a little bit. Feminist women emulate the worst of men. Okay, feminist women emulate the worst of men. And so they go out, they have many sexual partners, they're awful, they're just horrible people. They put themselves first, they don't want to have children, they, they run from responsibility. Feminists just love emulating the worst of men. Now, effeminate men, like their counterpart feminist women, emulate the worst of women. This is effeminacy that I was talking about last week in last week's show. Now, when James Merritt, he could be a great guy. Could be. I don't I don't really know him, but I just know him from the stage at the Southern Baptist Convention. But when he stood up and he used emotional appeal to control the crowd, he was walking in effeminacy. He was not laying out biblical principles. He was using story. He was using a rah-rah moment. He was using emotion to control the room. That was emulating and walking in the sin propensities of Eve, and it was very effeminate. And any man, by the way, this is a case study for any man who wants to get their way through the deceptive means of Eve-like practices or those deceptive means of those sin propensities that follow around Eve's daughters, you're living and walking and arguing in an effeminate manner. It's effeminacy. That's trying to control through emotions. Now, let's think about the worst of women. Let's just think Karen. Effeminate men act like Karen, okay? 
So they're going to be manipulative. A man who is manipulative through emotions, he is going to be an effeminate man. And he needs to stop that. He needs to quit it immediately. That's ungodly in women. And that's just disgusting and just awful in men. He's going to have unbridled emotions. Okay, He's going to have unbridled emotions. If you can't control yourself, if you're set off by everything, and you, you cannot get your emotions under control, okay, good women know how to control their emotions. They get those things under control, and they fight for that. They recognize the sin propensity of things like deception or being the weaker vessel from First, first Peter chapter 2, which has implications that means that women are weaker physically and they're weak, weaker in their countenance. And so they're going to have to deal with emotions that men don't have to deal with. And when men live like they're emotional women, they're living in an effeminate manner. And they've got to quit that. And so often in pastoral ministry, it lends to that. It lends itself to that. It's just being an emotional train wreck. How many pastors, we talk about emotional health, how many pastors do you know that are actually living in a very effeminate way? Indecision would be another effeminate thing. Men are built to be leaders and they're built to be decision makers. When they go out and do what's required and make the decisions that are necessary to survive, they're being very masculine and walking in the way God has designed them. But when a man is indecisive, he can't make decisions up. He's you know shrugging his shoulders and looking around, asking for everybody else to make the decision or looking to his wife to make the decision. He is acting like a helpmate and he is not acting like a leader. He is called to be a leader. Don't be effeminate. And then when men act like the worst of women, they end up being gossipy and they just end up being the kind of man that nobody wants to be around. These are all elements of effeminacy. And then finally, when men display characteristics of what is glorious in women, which is their weakness. The fact that a woman is physically weaker or emotionally weaker is not a bad thing. There is glory in it in the sense that they are made to be women and not to be men. They are made to be soft. They are made in a different way than men are. And unless I miscommunicate what I'm talking about here, I realize that there's going to be some women that are less emotionally charged than some men. I realize that there's people that are on a, on a spectrum here, but we're talking about specifically how God has wired men and God has wired women in broad strokes. And a part of the way that God has built women is that they're physically weaker. They're just physically weaker. Men are stronger than women. And so if a man is physically weak, he is a effeminate man. He needs to get strong. And finally, let's think about pastoral ministry then. Let's take everything that's kind of been this convoluted mess that I've just been talking about here. Let's just take everything that's been this melting pot of a conversation here over the last few minutes. Let's bring it together for pastoral ministry. So often in pastoral ministry, we talk about being winsome and wise and finding the third way. And in fact, the third way in pastoral ministry when it comes to hot button issues, to not be on the left or to not be on the right, or to find the way that, that nobody else has been able to find that brings unity to everybody else. I want to challenge you a little bit if that's you, because here's the deal. The third way, the way of winsomeness, that sort of way of pastoral ministry of always putting out fires, that kind of stuff, that is effeminate. Pastoral ministry in our country has adopted effeminate principles. It's indecisive. It pulls emotional levers and manipulative levers behind the scenes to get what the pastor wants. It tries to control through not persuasion, not through leadership, but through kind of this backdoor, soft, I'm going to try to get everybody to like me. When I'm in this room, they're going to think I'm on their side. And when I'm in this room, they're going to think I'm on their side. And I'm just going to try to find this wise, winsome third way. And what we need is a complete and total and utter rejection of effeminate pastoral ministry. 
We need men who are decisive, who are going to lead, who are going to know that they're a man. They're going to know what God has given them and called them to. And they're going to go in and they're going to be direct. They're going to be decisive. And they're going to be the leaders that men need to be. They're going to embrace their manhood externally. They're going to be strong. They're not going to have unbridled emotions. And they're going to lead God's people in the way men are called to lead God's people. The sin of effeminacy is everywhere. It's in pulpits, it's in churches, it's in the world, it's in the culture and the air we breathe. That's why story and emotional appeal drive everything in our world today rather than biblical truth, facts, logic, reason. That's why the society at large can accept things like 2 plus 2 equals 4 and gender is fluid. That is the rot of effeminacy in a society. And we need women to be women and men to be men and embrace all that God has called us to be. Hope this has been some good food for thought. Hope you have a great rest of your day.